today we are focusing on the candidate for change and the party for change. Uh, with us is Todd Cretion. He is running for Senate uh, against Feinstein. And does anyone even know the Republican candidate? But uh, Todd Cretion, a longtime activist, grew up in Maine on a horse farm with his younger brother Joel and his parents in 1988. At the age of 18, he became the youngest elected delegate for Jesse Jackson at the Maine State Democratic Party Convention. Uh, after a year in college, Todd spent eight months in El Salvador and Nicaragua as a human rights worker and English teacher. In 1991, he entered Columbia University and became a leading student activist in the movement against the first Gulf War. Soon after, Todd joined the International Socialist Organization and has been an active member since. While at Columbia, Todd helped lead many, many successful efforts, including, unfortunately, an, an unsuccessful campaign to prevent Columbia from bulldozing the uh, Aduban Ballroom, where Malcolm X was assassinated. For his efforts, he was suspended from classes along with the leader of the Black Students' Union. Uh, Todd moved to the East Bay in 1994 and has lived there ever since. From that time, he's been active in so many different campaigns, there are just too many to mention. In 2003, as a member of the campaign to end the death penalty, he helped stop the execution of Kevin Cooper at San Quentin Prison and worked to prevent the execution of Stan Tukey Williams. He served as the statewide student organizer for Ralph Nader's presidential and Medea Benjamin's senatorial campaigns in 2000. And uh, it just goes on and on and on. Now he is running for U.S. Senate on the Green Party ticket. And uh, Todd, good morning. Welcome to KUCI. Good morning, Jared. Thanks for having me on. That's quite an impressive biography. You've been active for a very long time. Yeah, it sounds like I'm getting old. <laughs> well, um, well, it's it's always good in the morning to wake up to a little bit of uh, politicized Johnny Cash. So thanks for putting that on. Where are you right now, geographically? I'm up in Oakland right now. You are, and how is the weather up there? Uh, it's beautiful, actually. For the first time in a few days, it's uh, probably going to be about 85 today, um, and the sun's coming through the morning fog. So well, thank it's going to be a good day. Well, thank you for for getting up early for the interview. Um, this is probably a softball question because it seems like. Uh, the, the entire nation right now is fed up with, uh, with both parties, but uh, why are you running for U.S. Senate? Uh, I decided to run for the United States Senate because I think we've, we've got two, part, two parties who are uh, equally committed to maintaining American military domination of the Middle East. And after three and a half years of the occupation of Iraq, four and a half years of the occupation uh, going on five of Afghanistan, and the late Israeli invasion and occupation of Lebanon, uh, it's clear to me that there is no uh, there is no hope that the Democratic Party will lead the United States out of Iraq or Afghanistan or cut off aid to Israel, and that we need a peace vote um, in these fall elections, and the anti-war movement needs to have a presence at the ballot box, and that presence will not be uh, votes for the Democratic Party. Now, from your biography, you started out uh, your political career as a Democrat, I think, you know, working with uh, Jesse Jackson. What led you, or as a delegate for Jesse Jackson, what led you uh, away from the Democratic Party? Um, I, I remember very clearly what led me away from the Democratic Party, which was in, uh, in 1989, I was in El Salvador, and the Army kidnapped a student leader and shot a bunch of students. 
Uh, and at that time, naively, I believed that Ronald Reagan was solely to blame for all the wars in Central America. And so upon turning from El Salvador, I met with Democratic congressional spokespeople and uh, told them what I thought would be a revelation, to them, which was that their party was helping supply guns to the death squads in El Salvador. And when I found out, naively enough, that they knew that full well and they intended to do nothing about it, uh, I decided that if a party would turn a blind eye to death squads just a few hundred miles south of the border, uh, then it was up to no good within our own country as well. And I've had that fundamental notion confirmed uh, over and over in the last 20 years, uh, from the first Gulf War to Clinton's regular bombing of Iraq to his destruction of welfare to the uh, abandonment of promises made to gays and lesbians to the Freedom of Choice Act and on and on and on. So um, I, fortunately, uh, and for my opinion, I, I realized through fairly direct personal experience early on uh, that if you put your trust in the Democratic Party, it was just a matter of time before you uh, realized that your trust was misplaced. Well, let's explore that for a minute. We want to talk about your campaign specifically but I, I unfortunately trust that there are still some listeners out there that are unfamiliar with the Green Party. Why should one, if one is to be suspicious about placing trust in, say, the Democratic Party, why should one have more faith in, say, a Green Party? Could you tell our listeners about the Green Party? Well, the Green Party is a, uh, is a, is a small party, obviously, um, and it is a party which has social justice values. At its, uh, at its founding, and it is an attempt to begin a process of founding a different type of politics in this country. So, for instance, we don't get any corporate cash, <clears throat> which is, uh, you know, the mainstay of the Democrats and Republicans. Um, there are no uh, corporate executives who pick our candidates. There are no lobbyists who shower the party with cash and demand uh, quid pro quo in terms of legislation. Uh, so it's a party of activists. It's a party that is trying to begin uh, to create something new in this country. So if people join it, if people become involved in it, they can have a fairly direct say-so in, uh, in which direction it goes in. So I would say that uh, the Green Party is not at all a finished product. It is not the quote-unquote answer to the problems facing this country, but it is a contribution uh, to a different type of politics. You know, it's so interesting because the the Democrats right now, and I certainly support the the initiative, but there's a big push in California uh, to support the, the clean money campaign. Yet the Green Party has always been about clean money, has it not? Yeah, it's been about clean money, and actually, and usually it's been about very little money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that the uh, the campaign. I mean, having run a campaign now for six or seven, um, you know, Diane Feinstein is sitting uh, in her campaign office or in her senatorial office with 13 or 14 million dollars in her in her campaign fund and I was actually talking to a reporter the other day and neither of us could figure out what she plans to do with that money because she's not campaigning she's just keeping a very low profile and uh, trying to avoid the campaign uh, but that amount of money is just uh, incredibly corrupting so to run a congressional campaign in the United States today you need millions of dollars to run a Senate campaign you need 20 or 30 million dollars um, and I'm not. I'm, my guess is, Jarrett, that you and I are the type of people who have a difficulty writing out $4,000 personal checks to uh, <laughs> to our to our friends in high places and getting our fellow uh, executives to do the same, bundle them together, and hand over $100,000 at a at a dinner party. So that's the, really what runs politics in the United States today. Uh, and both parties are very very happy with it. 
Uh, there is no very, very, there's very, very little difference between the corporate cash which goes into even the liberal Democrats' coffers and the conservative Republicans' coffers. So uh, I think that campaign finance is, is one issue, uh, but I think it's one of the things that will not change because we come up with a, a clever proposal. It's only going to change when we put uh, the social movements, the anti-war movement, the labor movement, the civil rights movement back in the streets and we start making our voices heard outside the ballot box. Want to remind listeners? I should point out that I have difficulty writing a four-dollar check, let alone a four-thousand-dollar <laughs> check. I want to remind listeners uh, that are listening to KUCI and Irvine. We're speaking, uh, we're speaking with Todd Creation, the U.S. Uh, Senate candidate on the Green Party ticket. Well, let's get into some of those specifics. How do you differ from? Uh, how do your positions differ from those of the Democrats uh, or the Republicans or Diane Feinstein? I don't even know the Republican candidates. Uh, name, I, I'm sorry to say. His, his name is Dick Mountjoy, and he's actually the guy who wrote Proposition 107, the first wave of anti-immigrant legislation back uh, in 94. Okay, so and he is a hard right winger from the Republican Party. Uh, and the Republicans are so happy with Diane Feinstein, actually, that the Republican National Committee has publicly announced that they don't intend to lift a finger for their own candidate because uh, they're just as happy with Diane Feinstein. Well, so, uh, so how do your views are, yeah. I'll just go through three quick ones. One is the war, uh, the occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan and this new, this new second front in the war with the Israeli invasion of Lebanon. Uh, Dianne Feinstein voted for the invasion. She's voted for every single Pentagon uh, escalation since the invasion, and she believes that our troops should stay there indefinitely. Every once in a while, the Democrats make a little bit of noise about maybe we should redeploy some of them or reorganize the occupation. Uh, but I think if you want to get a real indication of peace wing of the Democratic Party, then you have to look at the vote that happened in mid-July endorsing the Israeli invasion of Lebanon. The vote in the Senate was 100 to nothing. Not a single senator stood up, not even to uh, denounce the invasion, but simply to refuse to go along with the support of the invasion. So 100 to nothing in the U.S. Senate. And then in the Congress, it was 410 to 8. Um, those eight people did not include Dennis Kucinich and did not include Barbara Lee, who abstained on the vote. So out of a total of 535 representatives, uh, eight voted against the Israeli occupation and invasion uh, and and bloodbath in Lebanon. Actually, one of them was a Republican. So uh, you get a sense of the the real balance of forces, which is that the Democrats and the Republican leadership are unanimously united behind continuing uh, the broad outlines of American policy in the Middle East, uh, even though they're quibbling over the tactics of how, to, uh, of how to control the oil. So I would say get the troops out immediately. It took two weeks for the Americans to go from Kuwait to Baghdad City. It should take two weeks to get them all out. Um, so we have to leave immediately. There is no uh, justification for us staying a day longer in Iraq uh, or Afghanistan. Now, um, just to, to, to interject real quickly, sure. how do you answer, uh, we'll get to points sure. two and three, how do you answer critics uh, who say that, you know, pulling out now would be disastrous? Uh, well, I have no idea how they can make that argument at this point. Uh, we've killed 150,000 people in Iraq, um, and despite the, uh, the media uh, distortion of what's happening is there is a massive resistance to our military presence. All you hear about these days are the civilian casualties, and they are they are terrible. And there is 
an amount of sectarian fighting going on within Iraq. But even the New York Times reported just a week ago that 70% of the attacks going on in Iraq are resistance attacks against American or British forces, that 20% of the attacks are against Iraqi collaboration forces, and only 9% of the uh, attacks by the resistance are, or whoever is doing it, and we should be suspicious about who's doing it, given, given the CIA's history of divide and conquer um, and terrorist actions. But only 9% of the military actions carried out by the resistance are against civilian targets, which means that 90% of the fighting which is going on in Iraq is military, uh, is resistance organizations against the American and British military forces. Um, and that means that there's only electricity for two hours a day in Baghdad, that oil production is not even what it was during Saddam Hussein's era during the sanctions, that uh, we've killed 150,000 people, and that the country is literally being destroyed block by block by block, primarily by U.S. bombers, by U.S. heavy artillery, and by U.S. tanks. And so we must leave immediately. We are creating the chaos. We are to blame for a possible civil war. And I fact, in fact, I believe that that's official policy at this point from the United States. We want to create a civil war in Iraq uh, to displace blame for our occupation forces. So there is, there is no compromise on this issue. We must leave immediately. And it doesn't mean that that will solve everything the day after, but it is the only possible way to take a step towards uh, Iraq being able to have its, uh, its own future self-determination for the people of Iraq. So uh, there's lots of problems that we have created, and it will take years to work the problems out, but the first step towards solving any of them is getting our troops out. So clearly, one reason to uh, vote green is if you are against the occupation of Iraq, you really have, have uh, no choice of candidates, at least among you know, Democrats, Republicans, and uh, Greens, you have no choice but to vote for uh, the Green Party because Feinstein is not moving on this issue. Uh, she's, she is moving, but she's moving in the wrong direction. Right. Um, she is, uh, I believe, she is one of the pillars of support for this occupation uh, in Iraq, and she is an outspoken critic of the Bush administration from the point of view of Bush isn't doing enough to arm Israel. So uh, if you want peace in the Middle East, then Dianne Feinstein is running away from you as, po as fast as she can go. And, and I would suggest it's time to stop chasing her. And so there's, there's a clear choice right there on uh, foreign policy in the Middle East. What are your other uh, major differences? Um, the, the, the most important social movement which has happened in our country in, in decades is the rise of uh, the immigrants' rights movement. Uh, and I was proud to play a small part in helping organize the, the May 1st protests up here throughout a few hundred thousand people in the Bay Area and, you know, of course, down in Los Angeles, who were more than a million people on May 1st. And then really across the country, uh, probably, probably two or three million people took place, took part in uh, strikes and protests, making it literally the biggest protest day in American history. Uh, and that social movement, I believe, is not just about immigrants' rights, but it's also about showing the rest of the country, the anti-war movement, the labor movement, the movements for women's rights to defend abortion, for gay and lesbian uh, rights, that the, all the other social movements have to learn from the immigrants' rights movement and take inspiration from it. Uh, because that type of massive social mobilization plus using the power at the workplace by going on strike, those two are key elements to actually having any type of successful successful movements. So the in, immigrants' rights movement is, is just, I, it's hard to exaggerate its importance in terms of American politics. Um, if you compare the Democrat and Republican 
response to that most massive social mobilization to to uh, to my response to it, then again, there's no comparison. If you remember. Uh, what provoked this whole thing was the right wing of the Republican Party wanted to deport 12 million people, uh, and they pushed that bill through Congress. When they came to the Senate, um, the Chamber of Commerce and George Bush stepped in and said, you know what, we don't want to deport 12 million. We want to deport a few million. We want to, we want to divide up families. We want to put troops on the border. We want a new Bracero program, uh, and we want to make labor not uh, we don't want to deport it we just want to keep it illegal so that it's afraid to join a union that was the chamber of commerce and the george bush plan which was actually a little bit different than the psychos on the far right wing of the republican party but when they came to the senate um, actually the right wing of the republican party refused to go along with the chamber of commerce and refused to go along with george bush they wanted an even more extreme version of the anti-immigrant legislation so george bush went on national television and people might remember this uh, just days before the may first protests and said i'm going to put troops on the border i want a new bracero program i want to deport millions of people and i want to divide up people i want to divide families based on how long individual members have lived in this country and he went on television to campaign for that then he went to the senate and he couldn't get the republican party to vote for his legislation so what did he do he turned to the democratic party and the democratic party voted in the senate 41 to 4 to support george bush's anti-immigrant legislation while the majority of the republicans refused to support uh, president bush so the democrats by 90 percent gave george bush and the chamber of commerce their anti-immigrant legislation that the republican party refused so the response to the massive may 1st protest was not the democratic party extending a hand to the immigrant workers but it was extending an open hand to slap them in the face and to say even though you have spoken in your millions demanding justice and dignity we will compromise with not not with you but we will compromise with george bush and the chamber of commerce to get our corporate funders what they want and we will ignore you we will turn our backs on you so i think that really the immigrants rights movement um, has no friend in the Democratic Party. Uh, and actually, you know, if you look at all the poll numbers, uh, immigrant workers' opinions of the Democratic Party is dropping fast. So I think that for the Green Party, for social justice, uh, for, for the movement, it's very, very important that we not just see the, the, the immigrants' rights movement as a voting base, but that all people in the anti-war movement or the Green Party or the labor movement get out there and lend concrete material person-to-person -person support for this new movement because I really think it's it's the future for the next few years. And it's a movement that we've covered extensively on this program, uh, particularly being uh, just uh, bordering Costa Mesa and uh, listeners of this program are aware that Costa Mesa made national headlines being the first city to authorize its local police to act as uh, federal agents with uh, immigration and customs enforcement. <coughs> so we don't need to uh, pardon the pun, labor on this uh, too much. But um, so if you uh, became uh, the next senator from uh, California, uh, would you put pressure on the governor to remove the National Guard uh, from our borders? Yes, we should we should demilitarize our borders. Uh, Twenty years ago, there were there were there was hardly a border patrol presence. There were certainly no troops there. We should remove uh, the military presence and demilitarize the border. We're not at war with Mexico. There's no reason to have a military presence on the border. Number one, we should give full, immediate, immediate, unconditional amnesty and legalization to all undocumented immigrants and their families who are currently <clears throat> living and residing here. And my basic opinion is that if capital has the right to cross borders, then certainly people should. Uh, 
and we need to see immigrant workers in this country uh, not as somehow a threat, but actually as a key component to rebuilding a movement for social justice. So I would, uh, I would take a completely different tack uh, than the Democrats and Republicans, and rather than trying to enact laws to, to vilify and scapegoat immigrant workers, would grant them all of the rights that American citizens have and make it very easy for either them to vote uh, as permanent residents or if they chose to become citizens, to become citizens very easily for free without these thousands of dollars of fees that are tacked on. So uh, we need full, immediate, unconditional legalization and we need to demilitarize the border. And I know that uh, time is running short and uh, you've got a busy day. What is your uh, third uh, major uh, policy difference? Well, this is very very quickly, it's uh, on education, and you know every politician says that they're the education politician. But, but if you look at the federal government and you just compare the federal education budget to the Pentagon budget, you get an understanding of what the real priorities are. The Pentagon budget is $550 billion a year. The education budget is $70 billion a year. If you just switch those two numbers, we could double the number of, high, of, of public school teachers in the country. We could build 10,000 new schools, and we could give every graduating senior a free four-year scholarship to a state university if we just switched the Pentagon and Department of Education budgets. So it's nice to say that you're in favor of education, but as Diane Feinstein likes to say, but she voted for the No Child Left Behind Act, uh, and she is really part and parcel of George Bush's corporate attack on public education. So we need not to just defend the schools against the corporations, but we need to shower them with cash, with money, with a massive investment plan uh, if we want to talk seriously about uh, transforming education in this country. Uh, and I don't only say that because my wife is a public school teacher, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't hurt. I want to remind listeners that uh, we're speaking with Todd Accretion. Uh, you can check out his website at Todd4, the numeral for Todd4Senate.org. And uh, if you have just a couple more minutes, I have a couple couple last questions sure. for you. How are you on time? I got to ask you before we, we, we I, I got to ask you before we end, um, you were recently on the O'Reilly Factor. Um, what was that like? Well, it's a very strange experience. Um, Bill is a very disturbed individual in my opinion. Um, and um, he uh, had me on, I've been on a few times, he had me on originally because we passed a resolution in San Francisco uh, kicking military recruiters. Uh, out of public schools and colleges, and I helped write that resolution uh, for the for the election. So he had me on that to uh, to uh, to bash San Francisco. So whenever whenever he wants to uh, bash San Francisco, he uh, in, whenever his in his opinion something outrageous happens, like the city takes a stand on behalf of gay and lesbian rights or uh, undocumented immigrants or against the war, um, he uh, he calls me up. But uh, I think that he really is a uh, representative of of a really opportunist and vicious uh, uh, political line of thinking, but it's also uh, whatever whatever he has to do to sell uh, advertising time. So, you know, the point of getting on the program every once in a while is it gives you, um, unfortunately in this country, there's many, many millions of people who have very little access to progressive media. And so I know many people who spend a lot of their time shaking their fists at the, at the right-wing television and radio. And so everyone while you get on to say to those people, don't just shake your fist at this, at, this, uh, at this buffoon, but actually get out and do something about it. So despite the, um, the unpleasantness of the task, sometimes it's worth using the platform. Well, in the last uh, minute or so that we have, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us, I'm going to just go down a list of certain policy issues, and if you could tell me if, 
if uh, you're for or against, and if you sure. feel the need to elaborate, I won't have any zingers here, but uh, gay marriage. Yes. Uh, uh, an, a moratorium or uh, an, uh, abolishing the death penalty. Yes to a moratorium and yes to abolishing the death penalty. What about a moratorium on prison construction or jail construction? Uh, yes, a moratorium, and we should tear down the rest of them. Uh, a uh, a living wage adjusted to uh, inflation. Yes, and I think it has to be seriously uh, at least ten dollars an hour, if not twelve or thirteen. Uh, okay, and uh, what am I? Affirmative action. Uh, yes, uh, the the California Uni University of California at Berkeley, which is just up the road from where I am now, there are eighty incoming. Uh, black freshman men in the class, which means that there are there are four times as many black men sitting on death row in San Quentin, 10 miles up the road, as there are coming into the freshman class at UC Berkeley, a class of three or 4,000 people. Uh, affirmative action, the destruction of the affirmative action programs, uh, which Democrats and Republicans participated in together, uh, was a massive blow to the civil rights movement, and we must aggressively reinstitute affirmative action programs. Pro-choice or pro-life? Or that's actually um, a false dichotomy, but uh, yeah, pro, pro, you know, pro-choice, and not only do we have to have it be technically legal, but the federal government has a responsibility um, to provide sex education and to provide funding and counseling for women who cannot afford to get an abortion through their own means. And just a couple more uh, medical marijuana. Uh, it should be legalized, and uh, most drugs should be decriminalized. And uh, what was the? And finally, uh, what's your position on three strikes? Uh, it should be abolished. Um, it is a, a disaster. We have it, We had in 1970. There were 25,000 people in California prisons. Today, there's 160,000, uh, and tens of thousands of those people are there for nonviolent drug offenses. Uh, being addicted to drugs uh, is not a crime. It is. It is a. It is a medical problem and should be treated as such. And now for listeners who are going to call in and yell at me for throwing such softball policy questions, I should point out that these might seem softball when talking to uh, someone from the Green Party, but you don't hear this from any other candidate out there. So I want to thank you for uh, taking those positions. And uh, for uh, listeners who want to find out more about your positions on any of the propositions or the USA Patriot Act or anything else, where can listeners turn? Uh, please go to www.toddforsenate.org, and that's uh, Todd for Senate with the number four in there. Um, and, you know, we're happy to, to uh, plug people into volunteering efforts. We'll be traveling around the state, especially in later September and October. So if you'd like to invite me to come speak to a, to a campus or to a union or to a church or to a community group, please uh, contact us through the website. And I uh, really appreciate the chance to be on the show this morning. And again, it's Todd, the numeral for Senate.org. And uh, Todd Creation, thanks so much for taking time to be with us this morning. Thank, thanks, Jared. Have a good day. And good luck on your campaign. Thank you. Bye-bye. And uh, there you have it, Todd Cretion running for Senate. We actually have the clip from uh, Todd on uh, the O'Reilly factor, and let's see if we can't bring that up now. Last week, the Board of Supervisors passed a non-binding resolution offering legal aid to illegal immigrants who could face criminal charges under proposed federal legislation. San Francisco continues to defy state and federal law on issues like gay marriage, military recruiting, gun ownership, and now illegal immigration. 
Joining us now from the city by the bay, Todd Cretion, who is running for the Senate as a Green Party candidate. Now, I think we all know that the city uh, supervisors are given the middle finger to people they disagree with politically. But on the other hand, pardon the pun, I think that San Francisco is going to lose tourism, convention business by staking out such radical territory. Am I wrong? Uh, I think you are, Bill, but first, thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate the chance to talk to your audience. Um, the reality of this, uh, this measure is $2 million for legal services and for things like English classes. Uh, that's one-tenth of one percent of the city budget of San Francisco. So in terms of the monetary issue, you're right. This is not a fundamental budgetary issue. This is really about staking out a claim, right. which says that San Francisco is going to stand up for the rights of undocumented immigrants. And of course, there will be some people who disagree with that. But I think the idea that it's going to fundamentally affect the economy in terms of conventions, uh, convention business is really beside the point. What we're really talking about here, which is what everybody's talking about, it, which is what are the rights and privileges that undocumented immigrants should have? Well. Obviously, San Francisco wants an open border situation. They want everybody to come in who wants to come in. You, I guess, agree with that as well. We shouldn't have borders, and if you want to come here to work and you're law-abiding, you should be able to, correct? That's exactly right. Okay. So San Francisco wants open borders. Now, 90% of Americans don't, okay? They don't. All the polls say it. They, they want secure borders. They want to know who's here. They don't believe in the one world government. They don't believe anything San Francisco believes in. So you're going to tell me that people, when they have vacation choices, dollars tight, they got to go, am I going to go to San Francisco or am I going to go to Disneyland? Am I, you know, am I going to bring my convention to San Francisco or am I going to go to Vegas? I'm telling you, Mr. Cretion, you're going to lose tourism dollars and you're going to lose business because of these radical stances. You are. Well, well, Bill, you forget what an incredible tourist attraction Koi Tower is. Uh, but the reality is that uh, you mean Koi Tower is going to be seized yes, by Al Qaeda? Exactly, exactly. And you guys are exactly. gonna, not going to be able to do is, anything about it. The reality is, is that people in this country, just like your forefathers, your ancestors, and my ancestors, with a name like Christiana Cretion and O'Reilly, we probably didn't go and get the visas filled out before my our people, parents and My people uh, emigrated here illegally. Now, now, the reality is, is that people in this country, I believe overwhelmingly, believe that if you go to work so that you can feed your family and that's what you're doing, then you ought to have basic rights. And the tragedy of this stuff that they're talking about in Congress, which the Board of Supervisors has taken a stand against, is the so-called Senate compromise. What it does is it divides families. Families It's going to lead to mass deportations, the militarization of the border. And in my opinion, and I think in the opinion of more people than you believe in this country, this is the well, then institution the polls are of wrong. a new Jim See, I, I base my analysis on what the polls show, and all the polls say the same thing. The vast majority of Americans don't want open borders. Now, there is a debatable way to deal with the immigration problem. We'll see how that uh, pans out in the Senate. This amused me. Uh, uh, part of the resolution, quote, whereas the Board of Supervisors passed a resolution on February 3, 2006, reaffirming the city and county of San Francisco's commitment, providing a safe, healthy, and dignified place to live. Now, that used to be the case in San Francisco, but once the Board of Supervisors gave $400 a month to uh, anyone who showed up, indigents and itinerants and drug addicts, all of that civility on the streets collapsed in and you had a huge problem until you cut the subsidies. So, I, you know, there comes a point where San Francisco either uncouples from the United States, which I think it has, or comes back to reality. 
and says, "Well, Bill, you know, we're I, not. I, I we're not. We, we're going to be part of the United States of America." And Bill, we right are now, part of the not. United States, and barring barring a big earthquake, we're going to continue to be part of the United States. But the reality of this country has always been that there have been unjust laws from slavery to not letting women vote, and there are people who have stood up before the rest of the country has stood up. And I believe that San Francisco finds a much greater echo in the entire population taking a stand for immigrants' rights. And I think, respectfully, Bill, that you're just misreading the polls. Right. The numbers, when, when the numbers are right. determined by the so-called Senate compromises, I think that the most people in this country want immigrants, if they're here working, to feed their family. They want them they here. the same rights that our families had in the, back in the day and that the people who no, are they here want them today here, but they want them here rights. in a legal way. They deserve way. amnesty and they deserve legal legalization. Way. All right. Well, you you got to go by the polls. They're scientific, and every single one says opposite of what you're saying. But, Mr. Christian, we're glad you said it, and we appreciate you taking time. Plenty more ahead as the fact. There you have it. Todd Cretion taking on O'Reilly.